I really encourage people, whether you're in a, in a non-monogamous relationship or a monogamous partnership, to stretch yourself and say, it's, it enriches my partner's life to have friendships and with other people and to have deep emotional connections with other people. And uh, that's not a threat to me. This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love, and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened beings, and welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. I'm very excited about our guest today, Kathy Labriola. She's a jealousy expert, and I have used her book, uh, The Jealousy Workbook, personally and it's fantastic she's also the author of a counselor's advice on open relationships the polyamory breakup book causes survival and polyamorous elders aging in open relationships she's been a card carrying bisexual and polyamorist for 50 years she is a nurse a counselor and a hypnotherapist in berkeley california and i'm so so grateful to have her here with us today welcome to the show kathy thank you so so much for being here i'm very excited for our conversation well, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so we had a lot of questions from the Instagram community when I was asking them, what do they want to know, um, particularly around our topic today, which is jealousy. But I thought we'd kick it off with something really simple, which is just what is jealousy and what's the difference between jealousy and envy? Okay. Uh, jealousy is a whole bundle of emotions that come up when we are frightened of losing something that's precious to us, whether that is uh, a job, a relationship, or uh, a possession, anything that we value, that we are have some fear of losing, and we have some belief, accurate or not, <laughs> that someone else is trying to take that resource away from us. Uh, and so oftentimes people call me and say, oh, my God, I'm so jealous. And I'll say, well, what are you actually feeling? And, uh, and they'll say, well, you idiot. I just told you I'm feeling jealous. <laughs> and I'll say, yes, but jealousy is not really a feeling. It's this whole bunch of stuff all mashed together. Are you feeling frightened? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling sad? You know, those are the three big primary emotions that almost all feelings around any jealousy situation uh, are either fear, anger, or sadness, or often they are fear, anger, and sadness on, and or anger on steroids. It's more like, you know, a t terror, rage, and despair rather than fear, anger, and sadness. Mm. So uh, I try to encourage people to identify uh, which of those three big primary emotions, you know, fear, ang anger, or sadness, are the biggest ones that you experience when you feel what you're describing as jealousy? For most people, all three are present, but one of them is likely to be bigger than the rest, and that's the one to dissect and figure out and try to manage, because that's the one that's making you feel and behave like a completely unhinged, deranged person. <laughs> That's the one you need to figure out and learn <laughs> how to manage. <laughs> uh, th there's a whole other question mm -hmm. about the difference between jealousy and envy. If you want me to go into that now, I will, but if, I'll shut up if you wanted to ask something more in, in, or comment on that in the meantime. No, yeah, I'd love to hear your, your um, perspective on that, the envy, jealousy. Well, there, there are really three different things that people seem to confuse uh, which are uh, envy, jealousy, and coveting. 
And jealousy mm. is what one person described as, it's all mine and you can't have any. <laughs> one person described it <laughs> as that. And I would describe it as, you have something, a resource, as I mentioned before, and you don't want to lose it. And you're holding on really tight to it because you think someone's trying to steal it from you. It's very valuable to you and you don't want to lose it. That's jealousy. You have something, you're mm -hmm. afraid of losing it. Uh, envy is somebody else has something and you want that or something like it. You want that resource either that they have or something like what they have. Uh, you're envying them because mm. you see they have something that you'd really like to have. The third thing, coveting, is you see that someone else has something, you want to steal it from them. You think that only with coveting, you believe for you to get what you want, the only way to get that is to steal what someone else has. So it's about taking something away from someone else because you have a very strong belief that that's the only way you can get what you want. Whereas with envy, mm. you ha someone else has something, but you don't believe you have to take it away from them. You believe they either can share with you what they have, whether that's food or uh, money or space or a house or a partner or some, you know, some other resource, skills or something that you have that they believe that you, you believe they can share it with you, or you believe that resource is not a finite or scarce resource. It's available out there in the world, and I can go out and get it somewhere else, even if this person is not going to share what they have. I was just going to ask, with Envy, I'm hearing you describe this ability to see that they can either share or I can go out and get. I'm curious, what if someone is experiencing Envy but they don't believe in their capacity to get that resource, even if they know it's available. Does that change the shape of it in any way? Well, in that case, they're probably not going to be very proactive. They're probably just going to feel bad that someone else has something great and they don't think they can achieve it. For instance, if I meet someone and they have a really fantastic relationship with a really wonderful person, if I don't believe in myself and my own capacity, I would think, wow, I'm such a loser. They have this great relationship, but there's no way I could ever go out there and find someone like that or find a relationship that that's, that's that healthy and happy. But if I have any sense mm. of self-esteem and self-respect, I'll say, well, wow, they've got this great relationship. What can I learn from that? Like, how can I use that as a role model so that I can create a, a healthy, happy uh, relationship that's going to be satisfying to me. And if you're a polyamorous mm. person, and if that relationship that you're looking at, if those people have a polyamorous relationship, you might even consider, well, let me talk to them and see if See if they're willing to share. See if they're avail one or both of them is available for me. <laughs> but if they're not, if they're in a monogamous <laughs> relationship, I would just be thinking, well, this is a wonderful role model for me. It's it's really inspiring mm -hmm. that someone has this great relationship, and I, I want to go out and find that too. Mm. Do, would you say I'm I'm kind of hearing this, but that there's this relationship between envy and comparison? Uh, no, jealousy is often much more about comparison. It's much more about, okay, say more. I have something and I'm afraid of losing it. 
and I'm comparing myself, say if I'm in a relationship and I'm very jealous because my partner, someone is expressing interest in my partner or my partner's expressing interest in someone or my partner's getting involved with someone, I'm comparing myself and I'm saying, oh my God, this person is, you know, smarter, more talented, more charming, better looking than me. Uh, wow, I'm comparing myself and finding myself to be inadequate. And so I'm terrified my partner's going to leave me for this other person because I'm somehow mm -hmm. thinking this other person is, quote, so much better than me. I'm comparing myself in that way. And that mm -hmm. oftentimes when people are jealous, they go into that mode. Oh, well, this other person, why wouldn't my partner leave me for them? Because they're so much better. But comparison is an inherently monogamous belief. The, if you're only comparing, if you're monogamous and you're thinking it's either or, they're going to dump me for them or they're right. going to dump them for me. <laughs> but if you're not in a right. monogamous mindset, you're thinking there's no need for comparison. They could still continue right. loving it's... me and being in a great relationship with me. And they could have a relationship with this other person. There's no comparison shopping is only if you're only going to buy one thing, if you can only buy one car <laughs> or if you can only have one partner. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about that kind of monogamous mindset could also translate outside of relationships. Let's say if it's job or jealousy around another type of resource, it's like that scarcity versus abundance mindset. And I think it's interesting for everyone listening to really think about what you're saying. What I'm hearing you say is that jealousy is about fear of loss and yes. then comparison exacerbates the threat the fear of loss, it kind of feeds what I'm hearing is it feeds that fear that I could lose this thing. And what I'm also hearing you say around this monogamous mindset is that perhaps if we don't have the mindset of either or black or white, this or that, not just in relationship, but perhaps um, in life in general, then there's, there's more room um, beyond jealousy. I'm curious as well, let's say mm -hmm. someone is in, in yeah. a monogamous partnership Maybe there's a way for them to still adapt some of their polyamorous mindset. It doesn't mean that they need to be okay with sharing their partner, but maybe it's okay for their partner to experience attraction or maybe it could be okay for their partner to have a really deep friendship and get certain things from that friendship that they don't need to get in their primary relationship. I just think it's um, nice to highlight that for our listeners who are let's say more monogamously oriented and wondering well how do i <laughs> how do i make room for this this mindset in in my relationship too yes uh, I'm uh it's important to recognize that uh monogamous people experience a lot of jealousy too <laughs> it's not just in a polyamorous or open relationship or non-monogamous relationship uh, and some people in monogamous relationships carry that jealousy way too far to the point where they're afraid of their partner even having friends or afraid of their partner, like, you know, going to lunch with a friend and not inviting them to go, you know, or, oh, there you are again. Uh, they're just afraid of, of their partner having any uh, emotional connection with other people. And some people in monogamous relationships are even jealous of their partner's, like, relationships with their family members like siblings or adult kids or parents or you know other relatives and so i, I really mm. encourage people whether you're in a in a non-monogamous relationship or a monogamous partnership to stretch yourself and say it's 
it enriches my partner's life to have friendships and with other people and to have deep emotional connections with other people. And uh, that's not a threat to me. Mm, that's a beautiful phrase. That's not a threat to me. I think that's really important for us to inquire. I'll often say to clients to to really look at what is the threat. Am I feeling that my time is with my partner is threatened or their attention or their love? Do I fear that we'll have less sex? Like what is the actual tangible thing that, that feels threatened? Because I think sometimes, as you said in the beginning, it's this swirl of all these different emotions and we, we're not actually thinking clearly, is something actually threatened here? And if so, what is it? Can I use this as information? We're kind of talking about the extreme end of jealousy. Is it is it normal to experience jealousy or some jealousy? Absolutely. Uh, I, I personally, I can't prove it, but I personally believe we are really just hardwired to experience jealousy. That it at some point in the ancient times, in, in the Neanderthal times, uh, it probably had a survival benefit and that the jealous people... Uh, were able to survive longer and their children survived to adulthood. So people became even more jealous over time. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of evolutionary biologists who have studied this at great length and have concluded that for both men and women in the in prehistoric times, there was a distinct survival benefit of being jealous mm -hmm. because the way the biologists, uh, evolutionary biologists describe it, uh, they they talk about mate guarding and mate poaching. That say mm. you were a Neanderthal woman <laughs> or a Neanderthal man, uh, you know, back in the caveman days. Um, for the woman in particular, a man provided protection and hunting for food, and provided uh, uh, resources for her and her children. And the goal was to have that protection and those resources so you wouldn't starve or be, you know, killed by saber-toothed tigers or whatever. Uh, and so your children would survive to adulthood to reproduce, which is the whole point of evolution, <laughs> the whole point of uh, of a species. Uh, the goal of a species is to survive. Uh, and so if, sh if she could do Mate, po mate guarding to avoid someone poaching her mate. If someone poaches her mate and takes that mate away, then she and her children might starve or be killed by predators. For the man, the mm. survival benefit, according to the evolutionary biologists, is or was <laughs> that uh, his goal was to make sure that his female partner gave birth to his biological children so that his DNA would be reproduced. And so uh, he wanted to make sure of the paternity of those children. So he was guarding his mate to prevent her from having sex with anyone else and potentially getting pregnant by anyone else. So anyway, this is all theoretical, uh, but uh, I'm mm -hmm. convinced that, a, that there was a survival benefit so that we are just hardwired to feel a sense of danger and threat when another potential sexual or romantic partner is in the picture. And I, I really want to emphasize the word potential uh, because any new sexual or romantic attraction or involvement is a potential threat. It could potentially uh, destabilize uh, or even destroy my relationship. So I should be paying attention to that. And 
Uh, it doesn't mean I have to go insane. It just means I should be noticing, well, what's going on here? Is my relationship in any danger at all? And if it isn't, well, I can just go back to going to work and smoking pot or doing whatever I want to do. You know, I don't have to worry about it. But if I do see some danger there, then I really want to kind of look into it and say, well, what's going on here? And what do I need to do to strengthen and stabilize my relationship or find out if there's some serious problem in my relationship that my partner and I need to talk about or address. Uh, I often can talk about it as like your jealousy is your early warning system in the way a smoke alarm is. If your smoke alarm goes off, it doesn't mean there's a fire. It probably means that I've burned the toast. <laughs> but uh, but it does make <laughs> me run into the kitchen to make sure the house isn't on fire. <laughs> so, And then once I realize, right. oh, it's just the toast, I can just forget about it. So. Mm. So I, I think you're touching on it now, but is there a healthy expression of jealousy in relationships? Yeah, because uh, jealousy means, as I said, that you have something that's valuable to you that you don't want to lose. And if you're feeling jealous, it's usually an indicator that you're in a relationship that's very precious to you, that means a lot to you, that has significance to you, that provides some very you know, beautiful things that you want to continue receiving, <laughs> that you have a real connection with that person. Uh, and so if you're feeling jealous, it's, it's usually an indicator that this relationship is important to you and you want to make some uh, connection with your partner and talk to them about your feelings, express what you're feeling and get some reassurance from them. Find out, is there really any cause for you to feel jealous or is, are, is your relationship safe? Because sometimes mm -hmm. your partner is behaving in a way yeah, that it's... would make anyone in their right mind feel jealous. You know, they're they're ignoring you. They're neglecting you. They're not giving you enough time and attention. You have lost something. You're not getting as much of their time and attention as you are used to having. And that makes you feel very anxious. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful to, to really approach this from that position of fear. jealousy is fear of loss. <laughs> and then that can spark the curiosity I'm hearing you say of, okay, am I losing something? And if so, what am I losing? Mm -hmm. And is this, is the relationship safe and under threat? And when, when you talk about that kind of smoke alarm, let's say going off, do you, do you think that trauma for certain people or relational or developmental trauma can make that smoke alarm a lot more sensitive? Um, and if so, how do we manage that? Mm -hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right that people who have not had the privilege of having secure attachments in childhood and having loving parents who made them feel safe or who lived in poverty with a lot of scarcity and could never feel safe in terms of always having enough to eat or a roof over your head, that is going to engender uh extreme feelings of fear of loss that are way beyond what someone else might experience. And treating primary trauma is the most important process for that, just in making a person feel happier and safer in life in general, but even more so in yeah. uh, helping you manage a relationship where you may, where you have made a conscious consensual decision to be non-monogamous where you're just 
sort of asking for it. <laughs> you know, you're putting yourself deliberately in a situation where you're going to trigger that old PTSD and that trauma. So the best thing you can do for yourself is, you know, some kind of psychotherapy or some other kind of program to treat that trauma. Of, you know, for some people, that's some kind of a spiritual path. For others, it's psychotherapy. There are any number of ways to treat trauma. For some people, it requires some medication. Anyway, there are a lot of different ways to treat trauma, but uh, you're going to trigger that trauma if you consciously enter any kind of polyamorous relationship. So better to get sort of out in front of this thing and you know, treat that before you try to expose yourself to something that's going to be extremely difficult and challenging for you. People who have had very secure yeah. lives and very secure upbringing, it's not that they don't feel jealousy at all. It's that they basically feel safe in the world because they've been made to feel safe in the world all their life uh, and they feel safe in a relationship. And so it's a lot easier for them to cope with the inevitable anxiety and distress that's going to be triggered for them in any kind of poly relationship. It's just much easier for them. Mm. It's important to recognize that Do in a relationship. That... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, do you think that based on certain people's traumas um, that that polyamory would just not be a good fit for them? Do uh, no, I don't think so. For everyone? Uh, I think they probably would do much better in particular models of polyamory. There's a lot of different models of consensually non monogamous mm -hmm. relationships. Someone who's got a lot of past trauma that has made it difficult for them to feel secure and safe in a relationship will probably do much better in one of the models that involves them being in a primary relationship and their partner and them only having more casual or secondary relationships outside of that relationship. That will allow them a much greater degree of safety and a much higher a degree of ability to manage the distress that jealousy will trigger for them, but still feel mm. safer in that relationship, safe enough to cope with the difficulties. Whereas if they're in a different model where kind of anything goes and their partner may want like an additional spouse or primary partner, that's going to be a lot harder for them. I'm not saying they should just say no to that altogether, but they should recognize that that's going to be a lot harder for them if they're not, if they can't count on being the alpha in the pack, if they can't count on being the primary mm. relationship and knowing that their partner will prioritize them over any other relationship. Yeah. In your uh, book, which is sensational, by the way, for anyone listening who's curious to go deeper, uh, the Jealousy Workbook, you talk about, um, we're talking a lot about polyamory and sort of consensual non-monogamy. So I want to touch on that. Um, and I know that's a lot of the focus of your work and the community that you support through this work on jealousy, although, of course, it's applicable to everybody listening because we all have relationships of different kinds and mm -hmm. we all experience a fear of loss. But you talk about how... Uh, polyamory or consensual non-monogamy is kind of like an orientation in the same way that we have a sexual orientation. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. Uh, this, again, this is all theoretical because we, don't, we have no absolute proof of this. Uh, when it comes to LGBTQ people, it clearly is an inherent orientation. This is a relational and sexual orientation. And 
it's not 100% clear at this point whether being polyamorous or monogamous is a relational or sexual orientation. I personally believe it is, but again, it's a, this is theoretical because we have no proof of this. Uh, my experience is that some people are inherently monogamous. For them, sexual and romantic exclusivity is absolutely necessary to feel safe, loved, and respected in a relationship. And they will be absolutely miserable and unhappy in any kind of non-monogamous relationship. And the sooner they figure that out, the better, so that they don't try to do something that just is not going to work for them. Uh, some people just know that inherently in their hearts. Other people, they have to try polyamory to find out, no, this is not working at all and is never going to. Um, other people, are they may think that they're monogamous by orientation, but part of it may be societal indoctrination. We're raised in a very militantly... Uh, monogamous society, even though the vast majority of people are not actually monogamous. They cheat uh, or they get married and divorced five or six times or they have lots and lots of sexual relationships throughout uh, throughout their lives. But So they're really not monogamous, but uh, they, they we are told we should be. And some people are not actually inherently monogamous, but they believe they should be and they have to really work through some of their societal conditioning and their you know, in some cases, religious upbringing or very conservative uh, political families that they grew up in that uh, really preached the gospel of monogamy for them to realize that, no, this is not really inherent to me. It's not who I am. It's just who I was taught I'm supposed to be. Uh, at the same time, there are other people that I feel convinced are polyamorous by nature, that no matter how happy and satisfied they are in any relationship, they will become attracted to and be interested in pursuing sexual and romantic relationships with other people. And that seems to be consistent for them throughout their lifetime. However, there are lots of people in between, and they're what I call the bisexuals of the polymonogamous spectrum. They are they could be happy in a poly relationship or they could be happy in a monogamous relationship. And that may be true at different times of their lives or in different types of relationships uh, over the years. So there are a lot of people that are in between. Mm. They can be polyamorous or they can be monogamous and they can find happiness and satisfaction in either of those camps. And they are like bisexuals who uh, do not choose relationships based on the gender of a partner, but rather just fall, they are happily able to fall in love with and be sexually involved and romantically involved with anyone of any gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like more context or person or relational dependent versus um, gender or poly monogamous orientation. Well, we touched and some people, a little bit earlier oh, how they're... Sorry, go ahead. Okay, no, yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Um, well, some people are very monogamous at certain periods of their lives, like, but they're not monogamous by nature. You know, I've known lots of people that were poly in their 20s and, you know, teens and 20s. In their 30s, they settled down and had children, and it just was simpler and easier 
to just have one partner and raise children as a couple. And plus, they were just too tired and busy and didn't have time for anyone. <laughs> they barely had time for their spouse, much less anyone else. But then after the kids were grown, they'll return to a polyamorous lifestyle when they have more time and energy. Yes. Uh, for other people, it's, it's yes. the opposite. They enjoy being polyamorous when they have kids because they join together in families with more than two or three adults and kids. And it's a wonderful way of raising kids with more adults to take care of the kids and more incomes to provide mm. for the children. So so for some people at different periods of their lives, it's just natural to them to be polyamorous or just more comes more naturally to them to be monogamous at that time. And because I work with a lot of people yeah. who are who are elders who are poly, sometimes one of their partners has passed away. And so they have by default mm. become monogamous with a spouse because someone that they were involved with for many years and even for, you know, two or three decades uh, has passed away and they are not really feeling like wanting to have an, an additional partner. They're not monogamous by nature. It's just situational because uh, one of their committed partnerships, someone has passed away. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Seasons and cycles and moving with with what feels true. I, I read something recently that I thought was really interesting and it was um, a woman talking about how we are all in the essence of the word polyamorous, which is many loves. We're all polyamorous in the sense that we will have many loves over our lifetime. We might not have many, um, let's say, sexual connections, although many of us do also have that. And that monogamy is one, the word is derived from the word one marriage. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about not having other loves or even potentially other sexual partners. Yeah. I just thought that was really brilliant. This idea to kind of like open up people's minds that, that it essentially in, in essence, it's this idea that we can love many beings. Yeah. And then the question, I think the, the existential question is, does that actually threaten the structure and safeties of our relationships. And one of my friends offered me a really beautiful question recently that she and her partner um, use, and it was at, around relationship agreements. Mm -hmm. And so for people listening, you know, relationship agreement is anything that you and your partner agree is okay or not okay. So for example, if you're in a monogamous partnership, not having sex with other people is an agreement. And her question is when her and her partner are making agreements is, is this an agreement to actually create more safety and structure in my relationship or is this an agreement to simply prevent me from feeling an uncomfortable feeling that is actually mine to deal with and I am curious I imagine a lot of relational agreements are based upon avoiding the feeling of jealousy what do you think about that well what you're describing uh, is what I call the engineering approach to jealousy if you discover mm. that there are a few things that will just make you go berserk with jealousy, you might decide if you're just starting out in a polyamorous relationship for the first time, you might decide to just rule those things out for the moment. Like, why take on the hardest things? <laughs> why not? I always am saying, why yes. do people always want to do this the hard way? Why not start by doing it the easy way and then try to expand from there? So, uh for instance, some people in a relationship at the very beginning when they're trying to be polyamorous, they will decide, you know, let's rule out for the moment some types of sex that maybe we just want to have 
that's special and unique to our relationship. Not that you're going to rule that out forever, but for now, let's just see if we can manage by expanding to having some level of sexual activity with other people. But uh, there, there may be one or two things that are just going to make me go like over the edge. So, uh, and then, or sometimes it's not about sex, but about uh, the level of relationship, uh, such as it may be. Uh, let's, for the time being, only have casual sex outside of our relationship. Or for the time being, let's um, only have, quote, secondary relationships where we're dating someone, but we don't see them that often. And we're going to try to keep it uh, as a, as not getting too serious, not necessarily like falling in love, but, you know, more just dating. Uh, or some people say, well, let's not stay overnight with the other person or let's not have that person come to our house and stay overnight in our bed, in our bedroom. So that's the engineering approach to jealousy to say, what are the worst things that I just don't think I can tolerate? Could we rule those out for now and maybe, you know, revisit them later? And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. It, it's only if this goes on for yes. years and you discover that you're just trying to control your partner and control your relationship, and you're being way too rigid and not allowing for any expansiveness, then it becomes a problem. And mm. then it's like, okay, I'm just not willing to feel that discomfort. And so I just want to control my partner's everything they do. And and then your relationship's mm. not growing, you know, it's constricting. Yeah. How can someone tell the difference between jealousy that they genuinely need for safety and structure or their genuine, genuine, let's say, orientation um, versus them just avoiding uncomfortable feelings and being in a state of control or fear? You can only tell that over time. You don't you, you just have to okay. keep trying things and seeing how it feels and seeing really being willing to look in your own heart of hearts and say, Am I just scared to death and as a result, I want to control my partner and their behavior and I want to prevent them from having some experience that is important to them for their own fulfillment and satisfaction in life? And can I stretch myself, you know, to try to make that okay? Uh, or, or is it that mm. this is something that I really can't be flexible about? I just think that over time, mm. you'll discover that. You, I don't think you know that right away. Yeah. And what about broken agreements? How would you say um, couples should navigate? Because I think that in our society, there is, there's such an intensity of like we crucify, you know, that morally if anyone breaks an agreement. What I notice in the poly and open community, um, it's important to keep our agreements, but it's not the same level um, of of it just doesn't seem like the stakes are the same. I'm curious if, if that feels true to you and if you can explore a little around like how do we repair after broken agreements? So there's two parts to the question. One is why do you think the stakes feel so high and we kind of crucify people in a monogamous culture around broken agreements and yet it seems a lot of people do it secretly and mm -hmm. it's not that way in the polyamorous community. And then the second part of the question is when agreements are broken, how do you, how do you think we should approach that? Well, uh, the first part of your question is is related to monogamous couples. Is that what you're describing? Where there there's a broken agreement to, that someone is having either sex with someone else or an emotional affair outside of the bounds of that agreement. Is that, yeah, is I that... just think that um, mm -hmm. 
that broken agreements seem to be the stakes feel a lot higher in the culture of monogamy than they do in polyamory, even though it could be the mm -hmm. same. You could have the same agreement and it could be broken, but why do the stakes feel so different? That like we, yeah, it's like a different, um, we judge people differently. I don't know if that feels true, but. Well, I think because in a monogamous relationship, it's so rigid, you know, it's an either or, either you're monogamous or you're not. In polyamory, there's just like yeah, so many different ways to be polyamorous. And there's so many, if you, if one agreement gets broken and doesn't work, you can make a different agreement. But if you're in a monogamous relationship and someone can't <laughs> keep that agreement to be monogamous, either your relationship is over essentially, because you, that is a, that That's is, what it is a yeah. very central tenet of that relation of that agreement. You know, monogamy is very central mm. to to that relationship. So uh, there's like nowhere to go from there. Either ex if that person says, mm. "Well, I can't. I, I have this. I've been having an affair, and I absolutely am not going to be monogamous. I'm not. I'm not able to. I can't stick to that agreement. You, there's nowhere to go from there except to divorce uh, or for. The two of you to decide, well, maybe we could have a polyamorous relationship. But usually the problem there is at least as much is the lying and dishonesty and betrayal rather, in addition to the cheating part. And for so many people who have right. been in an ostensibly monogamous relationship and were cheated on, they'll say over and over again, it was the lying that I that hurt me the most. Now I can't trust them. If they had just told me right away, right. I still wouldn't have been happy, but I would have felt like, okay, they they have enough respect for me to tell me the truth, that they've broken our agreement and made this mistake, and where, where can we go from here with it? Mm. Yeah, it's that question, where can we go from here? And I think you highlighted something important in monogamy. The central tenant is I will be wholly exclusive sexually and romantically to you forever and always, which seems like this kind of absurd promise to me at least knowing the social mammals we are looking at the divorce rate looking at the affair rate mm -hmm. and so most of us in monogamy get to that juncture someone has feelings for someone else someone has sexual feelings for someone else and we just end the relationship and move on and the interesting thing to me about openness and polyamory to whatever degree is that as you're saying there's this breathability it's like okay well we've reached this juncture where can we go from here together there's like a, actually a potential <clears throat> from my perspective to, to almost go the long haul um more in some senses so when an agreement is broken how how do you how do you suggest couples or um polycules partners approach that well i would go back to when you're making the agreement <laughs> uh because a lot of times people make agreements that if they were really honest with themselves at that moment they would say you know this agreement will never work i can't live up to this but they think they should say mm. yes to it, so they do. So I would encourage people to try to solve that problem in advance by never agreeing to something <laughs> that you really don't think you can live up to. I know that is not as easy or simple as it sounds, but uh, because oftentimes mm. you feel very pressured to go along with something that your partner wants. But in my experience yes. as a counselor, at least half the time when a couple comes to me uh, or a polycule comes to me with a broken agreement, that person will admit, with a little questioning from me, that person will admit, I knew from the start I couldn't keep this agreement. I should never have agreed to it. <laughs> so really think carefully yep. when you when you're being pressured to uh, 
make an agreement. It is way better to say no than to break that agreement and have to be cause so much pain and suffering to your partner or partners and then to have to somehow beg forgiveness and have to somehow try to repair the damage that's being done. So, uh, but if oh you, gosh. if big you, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, oh, I just said big lesson. Uh -huh. And I mean, that's a lesson in life, right? Like on the small, low stake scale, when we agree to go for dinner with someone we don't really want to go to dinner with or have a mm -hmm. meeting we don't really want to have or help, you know, something we know we don't actually want to do and probably won't end up doing, but it's easier to say yes in the moment. And then it gets to doing that thing and we cancel or we flake or, you know, and it's like, that's way worse. But it's, I think as a culture, as a society, particularly as women, mm. I don't know, I feel that, that we're indoctrinated not to express what we really want and what we really need. And very often, and a friend has said this to me also, is it that you don't want that or is it that you don't believe you can have it? Mm. And I think for so many of us in the container of our relationships, we say, oh, no, I don't want that thing. Um, I never want to have sex with anyone else as long as I live because I love you. And it's that's not usually actually the truth. We do very often, most of us want that. We just don't believe that we can have that and safety and love. And so I think you're bringing up a really important point here that when we're making agreements, like can we tell the truth about what we really want? But what will actually work? What, what agreement can we actually keep? <laughs> and uh, yes. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, someone named Marsha Bozinski, who you may or may not be aware of. Uh, she is a poly coach and she has a website called uh, askingforwhatyouwant.com, I think. She teaches classes. She teaches <laughs> classes training women to figure out what they want and ask for it and negotiate for it, which is a whole training program, a whole boot camp that women desperately need because we are so trained to think we could never ask for anything, we don't deserve anything, we should never have anything, we should always be nice and please everyone else and do what everyone else wants. So, uh, yes, that it's especially a problem for women, but that doesn't mean that men are immune to going along with agreements that they know they're not going to keep. Hmm... Wow, such powerful stuff. How do you, how do you repair the trust or how do you work with jealousy after an agreement is breached? And like how much jealousy is warranted and then when when do you know to let go? I don't know if there's an answer to that, but well, when agreements are broken, it usually is not about jealousy. It's usually that someone feels betrayed. And the trust has been mm. disrupted. The level of trust that's been established in the relationship has now been breached. And now you feel like, well, how can I trust you if you can't keep an agreement that we've made? And usually it means, well, let's look at this agreement that we have made that was broken. Why what were the what were the various variables that caused that? agreement to be broken? Was it that we should never have made that agreement in the first place? We couldn't live up to it. Or is it a perfectly good agreement, but there were some circumstances that really were very unusual that came up? And if those kinds of circumstances come up again, how can we mitigate the likelihood? How can we reduce the likelihood that an agreement will be broken? Uh, or in the worst case scenario, is this just someone who I shouldn't be in a relationship with because they are not willing to keep 
any agreements they make. You know, you're trying to di distinguish between was this kind of a one-time slip-up that happened and it's not going to happen again? Or is this a pattern where I'm in a relationship with someone who is not very honest with me or, or I'm in a relationship with someone who wants to do whatever the hell they want and they don't really want to be bound by any agreements. In which case, they just are saying they want to be single and <laughs> they don't want to be in a relationship. So oftentimes there's this confusion in polyamorous relationships. It more often happens, more often happens with men than with other genders in that there's this tendency to think, well, we're, we're polyamorous, so I can do whatever I want. But if you want to do whatever you want, you just have to decide to be single. You can't really be in a committed relationship and have no agreements with a partner. Relationship anarchy, I believe they call it, right? Well, uh, no, I think that's a, a, a mis... A single unit. I think that's a misinterpretation of relationship anarchy. Uh, relationship anarchy just means that you're making whatever agreements you want to with each person. It doesn't mean you're not making any right. agreements at all. But it, it does mean that in the long term, those those agreements and commitments are very flexible and can change a lot. Uh, and, you know, most people are not really able to fully embrace and live a relationship anarchy. Uh, I, I'm not trying to um, criticize it or say it's a bad thing. My experience is very few people can live with that level of flexibility and unpredictability. Most people need a little more certainty yeah. about what they're committing to for the future and what they can expect from partners. Most people can't really manage that level of uh, fluidity. Mm. Yeah, I would say we're all trying to kind of exist within our optimal, which is unique to each person, range of safety and novelty, security and freedom. And it's this creative tension. And I think a lot of people in monogamous frameworks exist in that creative tension by ending the cycle of a relationship and then beginning a new one and then mm. building safety in that and then ending the cycle of that relationship and beginning a new one. Or polyamorous people are just sort of dancing with that creative tension between safety and freedom with agreements and exploration <laughs> and trying to kind of find find that middle ground is there any uh like red flags we should be looking for and when it comes to jealousy in relationships like when jealousy is actually getting dangerous or unhealthy uh yes i mean jealousy is is very unhealthy when it begins to be too used to control your partner and control your relationship and it's it's a little hard to know exactly when it may reach that uh, level because in any relationship, we agree to give up a certain amount of control and we, we agree that we are going to be in a relationship where we're negotiating with a person, another person uh, as to how we are going to behave in this relationship. So, you know, it's it's not like ever a perfect situation where you don't allow your partner to have any control over you. We agree to give a certain amount of our time and attention to our partner. We make certain agreements about safer sex with other people and you know whatever other agreements we make. We are uh, 
voluntarily agreeing to relinquish a certain amount of control in order to be in a relationship. That's part of what a relationship is about. But if, you're, if your partner starts to try to impose a, too many rules and agreements to the point where you feel suffocated and where you feel like you're not having the freedom to be who you are as an autonomous person, uh, then a jealousy can become dangerous because uh, you know we've all heard of these horrible situations where, not usually in a poly situation, usually it's a monogamous relationship where the husband thinks the wife is cheating and kills her or kills the person he thinks she's cheating with, whether she is or isn't cheating. We oftentimes never even find out with these horrible news stories you read. So, you know, obviously jealousy can get can be so extreme that it can lead to violence. Uh, in most polyamorous mm. situations, it's, ex it's exceedingly rare for any kind of violence to occur in uh, polyamorous relationships. I have very, very rarely heard of any kind of violence occurring. And usually when the few times I've heard of it, it's usually been related to drugs and alcohol rather than to jealousy. Uh, it's related to something that had nothing to do with polyamory. But... Um, in you know in uh poly relationships certainly there are time there are situations i've seen more than a few where a partner uses anger and punishing the person emotionally and psychologically with their jealousy in order to keep them in line and control them and if for instance if mm -hmm. if you have an agreement that you're allowed to have uh a relationship or relationships outside of your relationship with your spouse or partner. Uh, and But every time you try to date someone, your partner tries to veto the person, tries to come up with some reason why this person is not good for you to get involved with. Or if every time you try to date someone, they... Uh, you know, decide to tell you to cancel the date because they're sick and they need you to take care of them, or you know, they, or they make a, a a plan that you have to go see your mother-in-law that day, or you know, if they are like consistently sabotaging your relationship with anyone else, then they're controlling you, and then they are allowing their fear and their mm -hmm. jealousy to try to create obstacles to make it impossible for you to actually have outside relationships. So that's a very uh, dangerous situation, not dangerous in terms of violence, but dangerous in terms of you being coerced really into a into being monogamous when that's not the agreement you've made. Mm, yes. And what's the best way for us to talk about feelings of jealousy with our partners if, if that comes up? Is there a, a way to talk about it that you recommend? Uh, the absolute best way to talk about it is if you can use I statements and be honest about what you're feeling and experiencing rather than blaming your partner and trying to make it all their fault. And it's natural when yeah. you're feeling very anxious or upset or angry or distressed by a situation. It's it's easy to say, well, you did this and this made me feel this and you did all this to me or, you know, it's all your fault. Or if you had just done this differently, this wouldn't have happened. And, you know, try to somehow make it all about them and their behavior as opposed to saying, you know, I'm feeling very frightened and insecure. This is bringing up some of my low self-esteem issues or this is bringing up my fears because 
my father left my mother when I was seven and I felt abandoned and I'm frightened that you're going to abandon me. And, you know, if you could ex really make it about how your what your experience is and even better, if you could say, and these are the things I need from you that would help me right now. <laughs> and mm. as instead of like blaming them and attacking them because then they're going to feel defensive and they're going to be angry and they're, you're not going to get anything positive to come out of that. If you can just really express mm. your feelings and even better if you can say what you need. And when that may be just, I just need to be held and cuddled for a few minutes or I just need you to reassure mm. me that you still care about me and I just need to know that I'm still going to be able to have enough time with you and whatever it is that you're fearful of or that you think is happening and need some need a reality check on uh and uh it's even uh even more important if you're saying the things you need it's important to clarify i just need acknowledgement and support or i need you I'd like you to change certain behaviors because oftentimes if you're yep. expressing feelings, your partner thinks that you're saying, oh, I'm angry at you for having this date. I want you to break up with this person and never see them again, <laughs> you know, as opposed to I'm just I need just some support. I need reassurance. I need a little bit of tenderness right now. I'm not asking you to do anything different. I just want you to know this was hard for me and I need some support. However, if there are certain things you want mm. your partner to do differently, if what you're saying is, you know, you had three dates with your other partner this week, and that's a little too much for me, would you be willing to dial it back to like twice a week? Or would you, you know, you stayed overnight mm. with them a couple times this week. Would you be willing sometimes maybe one of your dates per week to come home and not stay over? It's important to be explicit mm. whether you want a change of behavior or whether you just are asking for acknowledgement and support because that's one of the biggest communication breakdowns uh, between poly people in poly relationships that mm. your partner thinks you're asking them to break up with the person or do something totally different when you just want to be acknowledged because this is really hard for you and you need a little reassurance. Mm. Yeah, I love that distinction between acknowledgement and reinsurance versus behavior change. I mean, that that seems like a, a pretty great start, but are there other ways that we can help our partners when they're feeling jealous? Yes. Oh, you know, my mantra for people is if your partner is coming to you with jealous feelings, your mantra should be shut up and listen. Just be quiet. <laughs> Listen, encourage them to express any feelings they're having. Ask them repeatedly, you know, what has your experience been with this? How has this been feeling for you? Is there anything I can do to make this easier? And is there any kind of support or reassurance you need? And that is so important because... Usually someone, if if my partner comes to me and they're jealous, they may be accusing me of things, attacking me, you know, with, oh, you know, you did this all wrong. You screwed this up. I've been so miserable. How could you do this to me? My first impulse is going to say, wow, <laughs> you know, you're attacking me. I did nothing wrong. Stop yelling at me, you know, kind of fighting back. But that won't actually help. Mm -hmm. 
I usually tell people, even if you think your partner's being completely irrational and unreasonable, if you think they're overreacting, instead of escalating, try to de-escalate by saying, I can see this is really painful for you. I'm really sorry this is feeling this way to you. How can I support you? It's very hard because you'd actually feel defensive and want to fight back. But I can guarantee you it won't actually help the situation. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's much better if you can just try to stick with some empathy and compassion and try to support them through whatever it is that they're feeling because uh, you can bet you're probably going to be in the same condition as them at some point, you know, uh, where you're going to be upset yes. because you're getting jealous of them, whatever they're doing with someone else. So, and you want to, you hope they will be as compassionate uh, with you when it it comes to that. Uh, the way I describe it is your 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 partner's coming to you with all these feelings, and they're going feelings, feelings, ah! and you're kind of going argument, <laughs> rational logic. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, I didn't break our agreement. You have no reason to be upset. You know, you're being ridiculous. You know, that doesn't actually help. You're not reaching each other. They're coming at you with feelings and you have to respond with feelings, but feelings of empathy and compassion Mm. for them trying to support them. And then later, either later that day or the next day or in a few days to say, when they're feeling calm and happy again, to say, you know, the other day when you got jealous, you were calling me names and you were shouting. That's really not okay. How can we avoid that happening again? When they're actually in that state, mm. there's no point in trying to talk about it. But later, it's important to bring it up because it's not mm. fair to you if they're yelling at you and getting really totally carried away. It just won't be useful to discuss it at that time. It, it Later, later that day or the next day or whenever, to talk about, well, you know, that is not okay. And we need to figure out how you can express those jealous feelings without attacking me. That was verbal abuse <laughs> or bordering, borderline of ver- mm. verbal abuse. And I, I won't accept that. Because mm. no one should put up with that. Mm. Yeah. Or, no. Or even in the moment, just I love you. I love you. And this conversation is important to me, but I don't feel safe when you're yelling or using name calling. So mm-hmm. let's take mm-hmm. a beat and come back when let's... you're ready to talk about it. <laughs> That's certainly Fly. another approach. Yeah. Well, thank you so so much for your time and your expertise it's flown by where can people find you if they would like to learn more about your work uh, i have a website it's just my name kathylabriola.com uh, and i do sell my books over my website and i have lots of free videos and podcasts and things on my website that i like to offer for free to everyone of as resources since I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, but a lot of people live in areas where they don't have access to these kinds of resources. I teach a lot of workshops and classes and things related to uh, jealousy and open relationships and other issues to do with polyamory. Uh, And I put a lot of those workshops on video and put them up on my website. So I really encourage people to take advantage of those resources. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. And for everyone listening, kathylabriola.com. And we just really appreciate your time here with us today. Thank you. That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick 
Thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.